Glad to be uh, sharing with you today from the scriptures. Um, you know, uh, we just got through studying um, not too long ago all the solas. We were celebrating the uh, 500th year uh, since the Reformation, since the beginning of the Reformation. Well, that's kind of, if you haven't been with us, that's kind of fresh uh, in our minds, um, how God has worked uh, through history. In fact, I'm excited. I leave on the 7th uh, with Miss Debbie Grimmer and uh, Megan will be going with me as well, uh, as well as a cohort of a few other people. And we will be going to uh, Kenya. And uh, when we're in Archer's Post, I'll be getting to uh, teach church history. Uh, and so this is uh, on the forefront of my mind as well. Um, the Reformation and, and all the things that have happened since then. So when we think of uh, Europe, we think of Europe as that place that really um, pushed faith our way, right? Um, but there's a lot of things have happened in the last 500 years. Um, a lot of things have happened even more recently. In 2014, the uh, Telegraph, did a, uh, which is a, a news journal, uh, did an interview with uh, Lord Williams, uh, who is a former Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, and that was really uh, his response uh, to the Prime Minister saying that we as a Christian nation need to share our faith, which is kind of crazy coming from a Prime Minister. Uh, but there was much backlash from that, from that statement from the Prime Minister that he would say something like that, especially given how Britain itself is uh, a Christian nation or not? That became the question. So the former Archbishop of Canterbury, so uh, a, a guy in the know who's still in the House of Lords, was interviewed by the Telegraph, and they asked, are we still a Christian country? And he said, yes and no. He said, if you mean by our heritage being Christian, yes. But if you're talking about practice, no. Um, he said, but Britain is post-Christian in the sense that the habitual practice for most of the population is not take it, taken for granted. So you shouldn't expect that those who say they are Christian are going to act like Christians. A Christian nation that can sound like a nation of committed believers, and we are not that committed believers. And in fact, after this interview, uh, another interview was done with uh, a whole host of people to try to get a poll of what is the heartbeat uh, of England. And so of those polled, 14% said that they were committed Christians. 14%. So we would have to say, it, by those numbers, we would say that England is lost. That where we get a great deal of our spiritual heritage, it is a different day. And the Archbishop went on to say, suggested there may be further shrinkage of awareness and commitment as a result of a lack of knowledge about Britain's Christian legacy among younger generations. So he's basically saying it's probably going to get worse that if you look across the country, this once God-fearing country is no more. 
and that there isn't great prospects for a change. That's what the Archbishop of Canterbury is saying. The one who is the leader of the church, who is responsible, who is in the know, he says, this generation, it doesn't look good. And it is in part because this generation doesn't even know the legacy, the, the relationship of the people of this land and their gods. They don't even know about that. No one's even talking about that anymore. It, as it was taught about in the schools, it's, it's absent now. So, of course, you know what's next. What about us? What about us? Our country moves in that direction in part. It seems as you watch, the, watch TV, it, it just gets worse, right? There is a disdain even for God, godliness and for God himself. Never mention the name of Jesus. Oh, no. They'll cut you off in an interview uh, on SportsCenter just like that. I want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's cut back to the, you know, let's not talk about Jesus, right? And so our world is changing. So the question for us here in this generation, in this moment, will our faith survive our generation and our children's generation? Let's back up the, the train a minute here. And I want to first introduce us to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, we see that Moses, if you remember, has led the children of Israel to the precipice of looking into the promised land, but he's not allowed to go in. So he is going to pass away and pass on the torch to Joshua. And so Joshua, who's been riding shotgun with Moses this whole time, is given the mantle of authority, God's, uh, God's presence is going to be on Joshua, and now he's going to lead the children of Israel into this land that was promised. Now this is a daunting task. It is daunting in many ways. Remember the spies have already told us that there are giants in the land. And there is, there's promises that if you go into that place, there will be people who have all kinds of power, and it is both a physical power, but it's also a spiritual power. And it is an alluring power. So that if you go into that land, you need to be careful because the lure, the, the lure of what is there is as dangerous as the power, the physical power of those who are there. So don't mingle. Don't mess with that stuff. You need to keep it in here. You need to follow the commands of God. And that's what we find in Joshua chapter Chapter 1, verse 8, it says in the, uh, it, it, Moses uh, is handing the mantle off. Joshua now hears from the Lord, and the, and the Lord tells him, this book of the law, so that's the, that's the Torah, that's the five for the, 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 what they have so far, not the Torah, not the complete Torah, but the, the making of the Torah, the, the, uh, the, the laws given to Moses, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have, a good, you will have good success. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Go get him, Joshua, right? And you're going to go in the power of the Spirit, and what should be true of you is that this law that has been given, the words of God, should be all in you and on you and through you. You should be eating it, drinking it, sleeping it, and it should be a part of your life. It should be always on your lips, ready to share this law. It is a good thing. Now go and take the land. And what does Joshua do? He leads the children of Israel in some of the most prosperous and powerful days to take over this land. And they go and defeat these great people. And it is nothing shy of miraculous. It is miraculous. They are going in the power of God. Youth, remember this, in the power of the Spirit. And they are conquering this land, and, and they're doing a lot of things. Surprisingly for the children of Israel, they're doing a lot of things that are right. It won't last long, right? But they're just like us. And so Joshua leads them out, and so they're conquering the places. And then we see uh, towards the end of Joshua's life, uh, after they've been kind of split out, so they were going as a big band, right, the children of Israel, and they reached that place, and now they're going to go to all these far-flung places as they inhabit the land. So your tribe goes there, your tribe goes there, your tribe goes there, and so they're spread out. Now, before Joshua dies, he calls them together, and he said, I want to have a word with you again, and I want to, I want to renew this covenant that we have we've started out on. And so we see that covenant re renewed in Joshua chapter 24. I'll give you a second to look there so that you can check to make sure I'm not making any of this up. T chapter 24, verse 14. But before this, if you were just to look at those verses before the context, <laughs> this is pretty cool. Joshua rehearses with them all that they've been through. He's reminded them of how God has been faithful for forever with them. Before his time, Abraham and, and with Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and he rehearses all of this. He reminds them of all this history that they've had with their God. Do you remember the words? Do you remember the words that we just heard about the, heard from the, the former uh, Archbishop of Canterbury? He said, now this new generation is not going to know they don't know the history that we have. You see, that's where Joshua started. I want to remind you of the history that we have with our God. He has been faithful, powerful, awesome along the way. We've known him and he's known us. So he starts with that. And then he says in verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Now therefore. Therefore means look what happened before. This is what he's talking about. And now this is what we should do. We should fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in, the, and, in, in, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. If you're on the fence, today is the day. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So a lot of us have that written someplace, you know, in our house. Joshua, 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he, he confirms, affirms, and directs the people, this is, this is the way we should be. Now the background music turns to a minor key. And it doesn't sound so good. Let's look to Judges chapter 2. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Just a few pages over. The death of Joshua. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old and buried him within the boundaries of the inheritance of Timnah Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there, were, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And I, oh, we were on a roll, right? I mean, things are good. But after Joshua dies, after this, remembrance of all that God has done, after this keeping the word on his tongue, after saying to the people, go and do what you're going to do, but I'm going to tell you that I am going to serve the Lord. Me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And when Joshua dies, there becomes another generation, a generation that does not remember the things of God, a generation that is not faithful to him. And that, that, that thus begins the book of Judges. And as we've talked about in the book of Ruth, which is a in, set inside the book of Judges and the time period. It is a dark time for the children of Israel, a, a constant cycle of disobedience and God's rescue and their disobedience and God's rescue. A dark time. So then that comes to us, right? This generation, this next generation, are they going to be faithful? It, it's not quite as easy as, remember our, our, our verse from Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it, right? So we know that. We're like, okay, that's not exactly a guarantee even. But we see that when that is true, when that is true, when we train up this generation, the fruit is valid and good. I'll finish up here with uh, my, my last bit of scripture. We're going through a lot of scripture today because it's good and it's what instructs us and what Joshua was told to put on his lips. So we'll put it on our lips today. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9. Deuteronomy obviously predates the time of Joshua. These are the instructions. This is the second giving of the law. This is... This is the things that they were supposed to do with the law that God has given them. This is how to be God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandments, the statutes and the rules. 
that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your, other, your son's son. You see the progression here? This is not just for you. This is for your son, and it is also for your son's son, for your daughter and your daughter's daughter. This should be passed down. So keep, by keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. That multiply greatly. Remember we talked about that last week. Justin was saying that we are, we are to inhabit and multiply. Multiply in numbers, but multiply in influence. We may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of our fathers, has promised you the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and when you drive your car around town, or you wait for them, in, uh, you wait for them at the movies, when you go all the time, you shall bind them as a sign on your head, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, they were preparing to go into a foreign land, which they knew was hostile not only to them as a people, to everything they believed. In fact, that's why uh, uh, the, the, the six, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema was repeated over and over again. This is the thing that distinguished them from all everyone else. They said, hear, O Israel, our Lord is one. And the other people said, you're crazy. But they stood for this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they rehearsed that day after day after day that was always on their lips. And he says, now, what I am teaching you here, you need to pass on to your children. And, and it isn't just a, a little kind of by the way for your kids. It is to, to pervade everything you do and think and say and talk about, the clothes you wear, the, where you, all of that should have God in the middle of it. His word should just be rich throughout of it. You should rehearse the things of God. Remember the history. And then things will go well with you. So wherever you go, you go with God. This isn't just have a religious experience. This isn't, well, remember to attend tabernacle on Sabbath. This isn't just remember to do the sacrifices. It's more than that. It isn't just the corporate religious ritual. But it is the ritual of all of our lives. It's not a compartment of our lives. 
We like to do that, don't we? Like, I have my church side, I got my work side, I got my family side. No, 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 he's saying God is in all of that. And you as leaders, as parents, make sure that it's in everything you do and everything your kids do, that they can see that and they feel that and they understand how that works together. That it's not a, a multiverse, a bunch of different little universes together, but it's a universe. It's all together. You see it all fits with God as the center of all that. So when you're doing your, your math assignment, it's not just about numbers. It's about how God has ordered the world. And it is our joy to look into such things and consider them. You see how that's different? It, when, when you are acting a fool, young man. It is a discipline, but also a discipline with the gospel in mind. Like, you know what? I am disciplining you because there is right and wrong. But I'm also showing mercy. And I'm also at times just giving this grace. Of course, our kids always want the grace again. Like, that grace is really good. Can we have it again? And so we are, even in our, our parenting, our, our discipline of our children is filled with the gospel. I mean, I, like everything we're doing, it's just, this is how Jesus is in the midst of your life. This is what Jesus is doing. That's why we come together at our house and we pray. That's why we, because we, we look at this food, and it's not just food. It's not just sustenance. We're not just biological creatures, right? We're coming and looking at this food and recognizing the provider of this food. We are, we are recognizing the one who gives us breath and life. So even sitting at the table is filled with our God. You see, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, did you attend enough church services? But he's talking about having God in all of our lives. Uh, I, I, just recently, Lifeway... Um, which is the, it used to be the Baptist Press, I think. Um, they changed their name so they could sell more books. I mean, that's smart, you know. Uh, they did a big survey, and this was very, very helpful, uh, on this idea of discipleship and how, how do children, um, how, kind of what is the correlation between children who stay in the faith and children who leave the faith? Like, what are those things that are present? And so... There were, there's like a couple categories of things. Part of the survey was saying like, what things uh, must be present? And the other's like, what is the activities that go around? What are the things you're directed to in order to see discipleship make its effect and for your children to stay around? Now, quick to point out that it didn't depend, if you were to do all these things right, it doesn't mean there's a 100% correlation that your children will not leave. Nor, if you did all those things wrong, it's not a 100% chance they won't leave the faith. But the, the likelihood is very great in either direction. And so, um, one thing that, that we see here as the results of the Bible study, for those children who continued in their faith, there were some things that were normal to them. And one of those things uh, was Bible reading. Was, is the Bible, this is not surprising, isn't it? After we just read, read the book of Joshua, like, they, they had a regular intake of the scriptures. 
whether that was in the family setting, whether it was a personal study, uh, wherever it might be, that there was regular uh, attention to the scriptures. There wasn't dust on the, on the copy of this, on the top of this, but scriptures were regularly uh, a part of the life of this child in their home. In other places, Bible reading was important. So uh, Bible reading. The other part was prayer and service as a category. So where the, the children had developed a prayer life, had participated in corporate prayer life, were involved in prayer life within their home, if prayer was present as well as service in the church and the community was present, these are great indicators. They were, they were helpful to see the children who continued on in their faith. Third one is singing Christian songs. Maybe a little surprising, right? Well, the 1950s were like, get rid of all that rock and roll music. Okay, well, it is important to have Christian music and to sing those songs. Uh, whether in the home or here. Or, and that's why the ministry of worship in this church is hugely important. You know, songs that our kids can go home and they can sing, right? And so sing uh, Christian songs. And then uh, a fourth of five is uh, culture, not program. So that there was a general culture within the church and the family that lent to these things of, uh, the use of scripture, of singing songs, um, of service and prayer. So it wasn't so much that like the church, like they didn't see a correlation between vacation Bible school and Sunday school and uh, youth group and big men's ministry, big women's ministry. Those things didn't directly correlate. Does that make sense? Just because those things were present didn't necessarily make it more or less likely that the child would do well. As those things, though, encouraged these things, prayer, uh, the reading of scriptures, service, uh, the singing of songs, as those things encouraged, they were helpful, but they weren't the things that made the change. Does that make sense? Finally, the power of imitation and environment. So that's the fifth element. Children were most likely to continue in their faith if they saw their parents living out their faith. So they didn't just talk about it, but they lived it out. So that in the home, there were opportunities for prayer. In the home, there were opportunities for looking at the scripture. In the home, service was encouraged. Prayer was a part of the whole life. All of that was mixed together. It's almost like you can read that survey and go, huh, that Deuteronomy 6 is pretty good, isn't it? If you'd follow that, we, we, we'd make it a far distance, wouldn't we? At our, at our church, I think one of our distinctions that is very important to us as leadership, is important to, I know to many of you, is this idea of what about the next generation? Will the faith be dumped on us and stop, or will it continue on from generation to generation? And so we have identified several things. And you've been here for the last several weeks. We talked about we are uh, a God's, we focus on being a God-centered church, uh, that everything that we do is to the glory of God, not for our own building up and our own edification, but we, we do things to the glory of God. We're always looking towards him. Our sermons, our teaching, all those things are focused on him. And then he brings the blessings that go with it. 
We talked about uh, our growth, that we are to be spiritually growing. Uh, last week we talked about multiplication, that God has given this command, uh, Matthew chapter 28, to go and share this good news. And we found one of the most uh, effective ways to do that is through church planting. And then this week we're looking at our church looks at family discipleship as critical to passing on generation to generation the faith that we have. And that we can't, as opposed to just saying, well, I came to church, and that becomes kind of like the bar. If I can just get my kids to church, then everything's going to be all right. Now, I'm going to tell you, that is a step in the right direction. It is a mandatory step in the right direction for your children to grow up in faith, but it is not the last step. Our families should be families that are discipling our children here and at home. We bring them to church as a fulfillment of the discipleship that we're doing because we want, we want to be in community. We want to show them worship. We want to have them participate in service. We want them to be a part of the corporate prayers. But it doesn't stop there. This is not the only thing. This is an important part of it. But in our homes, we should be going over the scriptures as we go, wherever we go. It's a part of our lives. We have Christian music on our radios. We have, we have, uh, we go to Christian things. We, we spend time praying together. We come together at night and we share the scriptures together. We're memorizing scripture together. We're memorizing catechisms together. We're doing all these things. Now, doesn't it sound overwhelming? Yes, it is. But here's the good news is that God is with us. That's the good news. And he's not done yet. Now, there's some of you, and I hope I didn't lose some of you. You're saying, I don't have any children at home. I get a pass. Not so, my friends. This imitation and an environment includes, and in fact, a part of the study said one of the key elements was, um, does that child during the high school years, junior high and high school years, do they connect with someone other than their parents who takes an interest in their well-being and spirituality? That's a great determiner where the person stays in the faith. So that puts you all on the hook. <laughs> I don't care who you are. These are our kids. This is our next generation. And the faith is not going to stop with us, right? And so we are looking for who else are we investing in? What, what kind of young man or young woman can I be a blessing to? I want to tell you, I, I have reaped the benefit in my household. Uh, I, have, I have a Mr. Bob in my life. Uh, a Mr. Bob... Uh, Bob Billington, who took my boys under his wing, and he, they worked at his ranch, and, and he, he challenged them in spiritual questions, and is exceedingly smarter than I am, so he really got after them. And they, they saw work ethics, and they saw uh, a man who submitted his life to God. I'm thankful for those kinds of people, and we are to be those kinds of people. Titus talks about the older men and the older women investing in the younger men and the younger women. That's part of the life of community. It is overwhelming. Especially today, if you come and you say, you know what? 
I'm just happy to be here today with my kids. I'm happy we got up. I just started coming back. I'm going to say, well done. You're in the right, you're in the right direction. Now, the next step is little by little incorporating this in service and prayer into the life of your, a life of your family. And we want to give you some help. Uh, I mentioned earlier there's a book back there on family worship. I encourage you to grab a copy, uh, take it home with you, begin reading through it. Begin to change the culture of your household submitting all things to Christ. And we'll see the blessing of that. What are my next steps? Well, I, I want to encourage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to make the things of God wherever you go. And that requires for us regularly, and I look forward to hearing in the days to come for some of the saints who have kids who've left the house. But in my, in my early parenting, I've got all the way up to 20, from 3 to 22, um, I've got to see a little, you know, some of them leaving the house. Um, and I've recognized over that span of being in my house, it changes all the time, doesn't it? Like your seasons are always changing. And so you've got to be, you've got to change with those seasons. Uh, we're continually learning how best to disciple our kids. As some of them are, you know, they're, they're going out uh, on Friday night and coming back at, you know, at a later time. Like, how, we, how do we incorporate them into our family discipleship when they're not present? And how do we manage that kind of stuff? How we have kids that are leaving for school or for work early in the morning. How do we have time to, what kinds of, uh, what kind of traditions do we want to build in? We're continually learning. And if you're, if you're a parent today, a grandparent today, you're continually learning what it means to disciple. So you're in a good company. We're learning that together. Don't stop. Continue to grow. Continue to mature in these things. That's what God's called us to do. But he's not left us alone. He's given us a spirit. He's giving us each other. And so all of us have an important role to play in this. There are those who've gone before us who are, are grandparenting now. And they can give us, just, you know, they, they give us some, uh, some vision of what it looks like. We have young parents who, have, who, are, who are carrying their next generation on their arm right now. You have lots of questions and lots of things coming up. Begin to shape your home to be this home that allows Christ to be the center. A few questions to think about on the way out today. What kind of culture do you want in your home? What space are you creating for your children to flourish? How are we rooting our families in God's word? How are we modeling prayer and repentance? What are the songs that are in our hearts and on our lips that may even be sung more than frozen? How are we fulfilling the Great Commission?
Let's ask these questions and beg God to work in us and through us for his glory and our family's good. That this generation and the next will produce another generation and the next to love our God. That we wouldn't uh, suffer the fate of Joshua's generation, of Great Britain, that God would continue to work in us for his kingdom glory for the rest of eternity.